Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. This week on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, let's get into the spirit of the giving season. We'll revisit Carrie's conversations with two special guests, Georgia Miarton, the former executive director of Our House, the homeless shelter in Little Rock, and Brian Marsh, president and CEO of Goodwill Industries of Arkansas. You'll be able to learn how these organizations are solving problems at the root of poverty and homelessness by creating jobs, providing child care, and teaching skills that improve the lives of Arkansans all across our state. It's always helpful to get a little personality sketch of each one of our guests when we do these compilation shows on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. So let's start with Georgia Miarton from Our House. In 2005, Georgia walked into our house and began instantly to breathe new life into the organization and its grounds. Her efforts have not gone unnoticed. She has been recognized nationally as Southerner of the Year, locally as the Nonprofit Executive of the Year, and under her guidance, our house was named Organization of the Year in 2015. Her unique approach to homelessness has garnered her national recognition as a model program, so much so that other states come for tours of our house and learn firsthand from Georgia as she passionately shows them around and shares her knowledge, which I have done her tours, and they are passionate. Georgia's organizational skills and management styles has attracted investors from as national recognitions of W.K. Kellogg Foundation and many other state and national funders. From the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, she holds bachelor degrees in both English and political science. From the University of Ulster in the UK, a master's degree in public affairs and political communications, a postgraduate diploma from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, and was awarded a Fannie Mae Fellowship to attend Harvard's Senior Executive States and Local Government Program. Georgia was one of only 12 Americans awarded the George J. Mitchell Scholarship for graduate study on the island of Ireland. In addition, Georgia is a wife, and on my last count, a mother of three. You got it. (laughs) It is an honor and a privilege to welcome my friend, Georgia, to the table. Hey, Georgia. Hey, Carrie. You must be exhausted. I feel good. (laughs) See how she is? All right, we've got a ton to talk about today. I want to talk about I mean, there's your education. I mean, it's crazy. I'm dying to hear about your Ireland experience. I've always wanted to ask you about that, and I never have. I want you to tell me what this uh, Island of Ireland graduate study was and what it did for you and what you learned. There was this amazing opportunity where I got to apply for the big three international scholarships, so the Rhodes, the Marshall, and the Mitchell. And to anyone listening who has kids in college or to young people who are thinking about what graduate school might look like for them, I really encourage people to think beyond the bounds of the United States because what an amazing and 
just mind-opening experience it is to go and get a graduate degree abroad. So there are these big three that um, colleges usually can only nominate one person to apply. And just my deepest gratitude to UALR who funded my undergraduate education through the Donaghy Scholars Program and really lifted me up as their nominee for all three of these opportunities. I got an automatic rejection letter from the Marshall Scholarship, which would have allowed me um, graduate school anywhere in the um, British Isles, so not Northern Ireland or not Southern Ireland. Um, It was just like, nope, sorry. But I made it into um, the running for the George Mitchell Scholarship and the Rhodes Scholarship, which obviously everyone's heard of the Rhodes Scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually got all the way to the end of that process, was offered the Mitchell Scholarship and withdrew from the Rhodes Scholarship, kind of turned them down because here was this amazing chance to go and study anywhere on the island of Ireland, meaning the Republic of Ireland or Northern Ireland, which was my choice for um, the interest that it brought to me and that they were just five years out of the troubles, right? So the long, Tell us what those troubles yeah, are. Yeah, so just this long history of, of, conflict. Um, of conflict between the Protestants and the Catholics, um, between the people who supported being unified with England and the United Kingdom and those who wanted to unify with the Republic of Ireland. And so, um, you know, I took this opportunity, said, I want to go study in a school right outside of Belfast, five years after the Peace Accords, which as an Arkansan, going there was just this incredible thing because Bill Clinton has an amazing reputation in Northern Ireland as the president who helped bring to bear the brokerage of the Peace Accords. So, you know, I got all this uh, just love on me because I was from Arkansas. um, And you probably know Bill. And I do. I went to Girl Scouts with Chelsea. Right oh down my. the street from here. It's oh, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so it was just this amazing experience. Um, so you didn't actually work on the peace accord yourself. I, I you got there not. afterwards. I got there five years after. Um, yeah, I just got to go and do my studies and do some do some policy work as well. So it really expanded your horizon. You're an intellect. You could have gone to school anywhere, and you chose to go to UALR right here in Little Rock, Arkansas, where you were raised. Why is that? Best decision I ever made um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, One of them, and the reason I can honestly say best decision is because it's where I met my husband, um, Dominic Miartin, and a big smile on your face because you know that we've been together now for 18 years since we were kids in college. Um, But beyond meeting the love of my life, it's a place where the people who are teaching from the front of the room are not graduate assistants. They are full faculty members. They are there because they love the students and they love sharing their knowledge and really working hands-on on projects with the students. It's not all about research for them. While UALR does amazing research and and is embedded in the community helping do studies that relate back to our home community, at the end of the day, it's a place that loves and cares for its students. A non-traditional population, very. A, a very different group of people that were in my classes for sure. Um, yes, from executives from downtown, absolutely. like me, who right. went down there on lunch to go learn some new classes, and, yeah. and then all the way down to kids your age who they're meeting the love of their life. Right, so I was, eight, I was 18, you know, mm-hmm. going to school with, a, with an international student from Slovakia who was also part of the Donaghy Scholars Program, and across the way was my mother getting her master's degree in social work. That's all at the exactly, same time. All exactly, exactly. I love that. That's one thing I do love about UALR, which I think is now called UA of Little Rock. So I heard. Now, let's meet Brian Marsh, our other guest on the program this week. He's from Goodwill Industries. You may be thinking... Isn't that the place I take my used belongings after spring cleaning? And yes, it is, but it is so much more. 
Last year, I had the pleasure of hearing Mr. Marsh speak about the efficiencies of goodwill and knew I had to have him on the radio to tell us more. Their mission since its inception in 1902 has been changing lives through education, training, and employment. I had no idea. In 2017, Goodwill opened Arkansas's first adult high school called Excel Center. In 2018, they provided services to almost 20,000 Arkansans and placed over 6,000 people in employment. In 2019, they held their first class on mental health training, something we need today that people don't like to talk about. I love it. Brian brought his talents to Arkansas from Denver, Colorado in 2013. Since then, he has moved up the success ladder, eventually becoming the president and CEO of Goodwill Industries with over 40 locations across Arkansas. I really liked listening to Brian because first and foremost, he's a businessman who speaks in equitable terms about his goals and accomplishments on some of the toughest social issues we face. Lack of education, generational poverty, reintegrating veterans, starting over after incarceration. It is a pleasure and a privilege to welcome to the table the smart, hardworking, and superb leader, Mr. Brian Marsh. Thank you very much, Carrie. Where were you born? I was born in Buchanan, Michigan. Um, my wife uh, and I met in, in calculus class at Mississippi State. Um, I am a, a son of a um, Arkansas um, native. My mother was born in Batesville. My mother was a migrant worker until she was 13, and they used to go from Arkansas to Michigan following crops. And when they, A sharecropper? No, they were migrant workers. So they, they would pick cotton and, and, and uh, beans and move all the way to Michigan picking fruit at the end of the season. So they would follow oh, they the would harvest. Migrate. And they would migrate up and then come back to Arkansas. And they stayed. And um, they, my grandfather went to work in, uh, in a factory in Michigan, and my dad and mom met. They were from two farm towns close to each other. Uh, graduated high school. My mother um, made sure that I went to college. My sister and I both had that opportunity. Um, the family had a, my dad's family is a, it is a hardworking farming family. They had an agricultural trucking into, uh, company, and the opportunity was to drive a truck. And so he said he would co-sign on a truck, and my mother put her foot down very soundly and said, no, I was going to go to college. And I'm glad she did because she put me on the track that I'm on today. I bet you drove a truck in the summer. Um, I learned how to drive a truck at uh, 13. I could drive a tractor much younger than that. So you're, uh, So did you grow up in Batesville? Um, no, I grew up in Michigan. And Yeah, um, I kind of got lost there. So your grandfather's from Michigan? My, my mother's from Batesville. And then she moved to Michigan at 13. There you go. Yes. Okay, I get yes. it. And then, so so you didn't ever live in Arkansas? Never lived in Arkansas. Always but, came to Arkansas. So when, again, when we had the opportunity, my wife and I got married after uh, after college at Mississippi State, and, and we've moved around the country. And the opportunity to leave our, of, we were working in Denver when the opportunity came to uh, come to Goodwill of Arkansas. Yeah, and let's let's talk about your living in Denver. What did you do in Denver, yeah, Colorado? I ran the emissions testing for the state of Colorado. How many so employees did you have? We had um, in Colorado, we tested a one about one point two million cars a year. We had eighteen stations, and we were about a thirty million dollar operation. What's your degree? MBA? Mechanical engineering. I started in engineering out of college. And I had worked at a number of different companies, and I was working for a gentleman at Black & Decker in um, Hampstead, Maryland. 
and the opportunity came to move that operation to Charlotte. And I moved it to Charlotte as the project manager. And when we started the operation in Charlotte. How old were you then? Oh, goodness. Um, Christopher, Jonathan was a year old um, when we moved from Michigan the first time. He's my youngest. He would have been four. So I would have been. 26, um, 32. 32. So, so, okay, that's a good age to yes. move. So you moved to Charlotte at 32. I can see how you would get that much responsibility. You're past 30. Once you get past 30, yes. people will start l- looking at you a little different. All right, so you've moved to Charlotte. And I was the business team manager for Black & Decker. We, it was a, um, a, we did all of the accessories packaging for all of Black & Decker power tools. And we did it in the Charlotte location. And we had, um, we would cycle twice a year with number of people that we had as employees. How long did you stay at that job? I was there for two years. And then a job came up in Denver, Colorado? No, then a job came up in um, Dallas, Texas. So you're not afraid to move where the money is? Well, actually, I move where the opportunity is. Whatever you want to say. Um, <laughs> and it was, I would get phone calls um, from people who either knew me or knew of me, and they would ask me to come and work, and they would have an issue. Um, I went to uh, Texas to work for a company that was in telecom right mm-hmm. as the telecom crash was happening mm-hmm. and it was because they were they were in dire need of in, improving their operation so they were breaking up ma bell um no we were actually a contract manufacturer making base stations for tel- for cell phone towers and oh. so we were a contractor to motorola um ericsson and the other contract the other um companies that did the the so your work systems. ethic is becoming known across the south now how did you so you're in texas now how long did you stay there um we were in texas for two years so and your kids hate you let's just go ahead and say that yes you keep moving um, them around. we were when at black and decker we were on the 50 state and 50 year plan <laughs> and they hated family meetings <laughs> when we would call a family meeting they're like up oh, the moving trucks are coming <laughs> oh they know <laughs> so they've they've moved around my son is uh my oldest is an engineer he works in da- in the dallas area um, my daughter is a medical physicist uh, going through her residency right now in houston and my youngest is starting at euler as a uh, data analyst they've got your work ethic yes they do so now you're in Texas. Yes. And you get an offer to Denver? No, then I got an offer to run a lost foam foundry for Bombardier. Where's that? That is in the mountains of North Carolina. So we were between Asheville and Boone. And I lived. we lived there for two years. They were in a, a situation where they needed to um, repair some um, relationships, but also the operation needed a lot of help. It was not efficient and it wasn't effective. And mm-hmm. they were... Um, they were having uh, major issues in competing with Yamaha and with um, Suzuki and with Mercruiser. So it was Bombardier. So it, you're in an you're you're practically doing business MBA work now, even yes. though you're a mechanical engineer. Yes. So how long did you stay there? Um, we were there about two years. <laughs> that <laughs> seems to be the trend. <laughs> and then we moved to Dallas. And in Dallas, uh, back to Texas. Back to Texas. I worked for an eyeglass company. And we made, uh, it was Essilor. We are the, they're the largest um, manufacturer of lenses in the world. I read this online. How many pair of glasses do they make a day? 60,000 pairs of glasses a day in the U.S. In the U.S. That's a lot of people buying glasses. I had no idea there was even a demand for that. (laughs) And they, great technology. 
Um, I went in and um, I interviewed for a job and I was told by the, the manager that I wasn't getting it, um, but he wanted to offer me another job. And I asked, okay, can I see the job description? He says, I'm writing it. Oh, and he sent he me the you. job description and it was basically um, very close to my resume just as, a, as requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did operations development. So That's... I was sent, there were a hundred and over 140 laboratories that would make the lenses. And they had the, they picked the, the worst 10, the worst 10 performers. And I let a, a cross-functional team in to evaluate why they were not performing any better. Worked with them on developing the plan to turn it around. And you're, so mm-hmm. you always go into the worst. You know, you don't want to mm-hmm. be the best and you don't want to be the worst. If you're the best, people want to come study you. Mm-hmm. And if you're the worst, people want to help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was that, that individual who was from corporate and I'm here to help. You're a good listener. If you can go into a company, I don't even know you that well, but if you can go into a company and turn it around, that means you're a good listener. He's nodding. It's radio, Brian. (laughs) I went and Googled Goodwill. And is it a charity? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a business? Yes. All of those? All of those. We are a a non-for-profit organization. We're run like a business. We have to be. Um, in order to provide the mission, we have to be very effective in our business operations. We operate, as you mentioned, over 40 locations across the state. We take gently used goods that are donated to us. Gently used. And we turn those into opportunities for individuals to get training, education, and jobs. That is exactly what the founder did in Boston in 1902. Yes, Dr. Helms uh, saw the need and the opportunity to provide opportunities for individuals. And so what he did was it was the power of work. It wasn't a hand out. It was a hand up. And so we work at not giving people anything other than the opportunity to make the most of their life and to do what they need to do. So when you donate, you're really helping change lives. Yes. You're not just giving somebody a shirt. No. You're giving somebody uh, education. Yes, a chance. A chance. So I read where uh, Reverend Helm originally started in Boston, Massachusetts. He was a Methodist preacher. Yes. And he took used clothes and he had unemployed women, maybe men too, I don't know, come and sew and repair these clothes. Yes. And furniture. Oh, and furniture. And then sold that to pay them for the work they were doing. That's exactly what you're doing today. (laughs) It is. It's very close to what we're doing. What people don't understand is, first of all, 96% of our revenue comes from the sale of donated goods. And the goods that are donated in Arkansas are sold and the money stays in Arkansas. So they go to help people in Arkansas change their life. And though they're not mending clothes, they're cleaning them up, they're prepping them, they're putting them out for sale, they're pricing them, they're hanging them on racks. Yes. They're they're retailing them, we have, which is a different way of doing it a little bit, but yes. it's basically the same thing. We have a thousand employees almost in the state of Arkansas. So I had the opportunity um, to come in as the chief operating officer, um, joined the organization in 2013 and uh, as a chief operating officer. And it was really, we're, we're a very well-run organization. We are um, one of the goodwills that is doing it right. And we always have, um, we, were, we went through a great tremendous growth. And that was because when, when our previous CEO got here, we only had a couple of stores. You're talking about in Arkansas. In Arkansas, mm-hmm. here in Arkansas. And so the, the ground was fertile. So we ended up opening a number of stores in the state. 
I took the the helm in November, uh, officially in November of 2017 as the president and CEO. And we're focused not as much on opening new stores as improving our operations. So we're doing Lean Sigma. We're doing Kaizen events. You're doing what? Kaizen events. What was the one you said right before that? Lean Sigma. So that is. I don't is, know what either one of those are. That is going in and continuous improvement. Lean. Lean Sigma. So sigma. It's six Sigma, which is data based. So we're oh. trying to improve things by measuring and ensuring that we're improving. So we do Kaizen, which is 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 a Japanese word for change for good. And it is um, it is done in um, the Toyota production system. So Toyota um, really made a lot of inroads in this um, with John Deming back in, I think it was the 70s, early 70s. And that's when Toyota changed from being a very poorly made, very cheap, very high affordable, maintenance. But high affordable. Maintenance, but, but affordable. Inexpensive. To a high quality. So it's improvement. So we're actually doing that now in our back rooms in our process centers so that we can be more efficient. So you're not trying to grow. You're we're, trying to improve. We're growing, but we're growing deliberately mm. and we're very measured. We, we analyze demographics. We, en- we ensure that we can get the donations that will make a store profitable and make it successful so that we can then take those profits and turn them into mission. So all the money we make goes to pay for our employees and then for our mission, the delivery of the mission is so important. So people think nonprofits, they think that it's just, it's charity. It's not charity. It's a business operated to deliver to a social need. So that's what we do. How'd you find out about this job opening in Arkansas? Um, actually knew the gentleman who is the CEO and uh, from, from a prior, when we lived in Maryland. And so uh, the opportunity came up to come here as the chief operating officer Came in, worked with them um, for four and a half years. Had the opportunity um, after he uh, left the organization to be the interim CEO. Uh, then was was appointed by the board as the president and CEO, and that was in November. You had of to 17. take a cut in pay to come here. Yes, ma'am. Why did you do that? Because I know what Goodwill does. You and were just I, at that place in your life. Yes, you do. I made a lot of people a lot of money as shareholders for Black & Decker and Essilor and other companies. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a lot of intrinsic. Um, It is very fulfilling. We had a graduation Saturday of our Excel Center, our adult high school. We Mm -hmm. had 18 um, adults cross the stage as graduates with their high school diploma. Not a GED, but a high school diploma issued by the state of Arkansas. These are people whose dream, um, they, they, they dared to dream that they could be a high school graduate. From ages of what? From ages of, ni- our, our students are ages 19 to 64. So the opportunity, we changed the law, so the Excel Center. Okay. In 2015, we worked with legislators to change the law to allow adults in Arkansas to be educated. To gain there, their you high mean there was diploma. not there was a law that would keep you from that? Yes. At nineteen you aged out of the public school system. I had no idea. Yes. And so you could only get a GED. You could only get it that was your only option was a GED before twenty seventeen when we opened the school. So in twenty fifteen we changed the law and then we went about waiting for the the rules and regulations to be built and then we applied. So we are a 
and I, I know it's a terrible thing, we're a charter school, but we are the only public <laughs> charter okay. in the state of Arkansas that gets no public funding at this time. So we operate this school solely on the money earned from selling your donations. And you do more with the donations than sell them in your gift shop. I remember hearing you talk about what you do with some of the stuff you can't sell. We, we try and, and ensure that we minimize our waste stream. And that means that we want everything to go to, we want to be a good steward of the donation. So when a donation comes to us, we want to squeeze everything we can out of it. So if, if we can't sell it in the store, um, then we turn around and work to sell it in our outlets. We have two outlets, one in um, Rogers and one here on Scott Hamilton I in, you had in Little 40 Rock. Shows. We do, but we only have two outlets. We have we have 45 locations in the state. Those are more like drop-off locations and worker locations. Drop-off worker and retail stores. Do they train there? Where do, where they do, we, do. Where do we, and then, okay, train And there. then we have career centers in our newer stores. So our newer footprint stores, our larger stores, have a career center where we work with individuals to try and help them gain skills and employment. So we work with them on, on writing resumes and interview skills and, and how to fill out a, a application online. What's the first thing you do when somebody comes to you and says, I need help? Find out where they are. In we here. have to meet them where they are. So first, what help do you need? Why do you need that help? What other underlying things are keeping you from being able to achieve your dream? And then we work with them to take those down. Okay, on this compilation program during the season of giving, we've heard the introductions of the personalities of Georgia Miarton and Brian Marsh. We've heard a little bit about the work Brian does with Goodwill Industries. Now let's hear about the work Georgia does with our house. All right, let's talk about our house. It is the premier homeless shelter in probably Arkansas. And here's what's so cool. It's not just a shelter anymore. And I really want to oh. say that, that while our roots were in being a place where the homeless could come for housing, we've grown over the years to now we are so much more than just shelter. Now we're a place where on any given day, 500 people come to us. And interestingly, only a quarter of those people actually live in our shelter or our housing programs. The rest of them are folks in the community who say, I want to come to our house because I'm on the brink of becoming homeless and they can help me get stabilized, get all of the services I need to stay out of the shelter system. We call those people near homeless. Near so homeless. these days what we're all about is moving upstream and just really helping people avoid homelessness by providing free programs for their kids. We have an amazing early learning center for homeless and near homeless children we have an out of school time program that serves 90 kids every day after school all summer long 10 hours a day 10 weeks of the summer and then we have a career center and the career center is open to all of the homeless in our community those who are willing and able to work that's really the heart of our house folks who are willing and able to work people who are in our homeless prevention program which is called the central arkansas family stability institute and then just people from the community who say you know what, I'm down here, I'm on, in the South on Main area, I'm on Roosevelt Road, I'm in South End. They can come out and get services from us to help them not only get a job, but be really successful in that job. So I've been to your new facility. You have jumped way on down in my interview. So we're going to jump all the way down. To jump the, on down. Jump on down here. You just got a brand new facility. <laughs> yeah. And it is all about education. That's right. So I think yes. that's what you're talking about right now. Absolutely. So within the last three years, we have 
um, because of the community support, been able to invest $6 million in educating people who are currently homeless, formerly homeless, and those who just want to become empowered to sustain themselves and their children, their own families, and but, never become homeless. Because once you become homeless, it's hard to get out of that cycle. Right. No so one, you're stopping right. them before that ever happens. Absolutely. And when I went to that facility, so $6 million you spent over the last three years. On two buildings. That's on right. On two buildings. And when I went to that facility, there is a daycare. An early learning center, right? Do your children go there? They do. My three babies go there. And and let me tell you, if it's okay, let me tell you a little bit about yeah, that. Because I, I don't want anyone listening to think that, you know, my kids just happen to go there because I work there. I had to put my kids on a waiting list because here we have this child development center for 65 kids and the majority of slots are for people who are homeless or near homeless. But then we've got about a third of those slots that are open to the community, including staff members like me. And we have to pay, you know, we pay full price. And I know that my children are getting the best education. My three-year-old daughter is in a pre-K classroom where she has a teacher who is absolutely incredible she is learning french and she's having those what? experiences yeah yeah no it's true i know you know now i know lulu is is apparently the wolf um so <laughs> she's learning french and she's learning right next to a little girl who's her best friend who lives in the shelter what an experience what and i know that experience. that you know that because i'm because i'm paying for her to be there that that's helping make that possible for these kids who live in the shelter or who are near homeless to go for free so if charge. you're if you the two-thirds of the group group there of the children there are have homeless parents or or their parents live in the shelter or both homeless or near homeless so uh, you okay. know we have this program where and they qualify for that yeah they qualify so for for you know a year we work with families to help them avoid homelessness what that looks like carrie if uh-huh. i can just paint this picture for yes, you yes please these are people who just like so many of us have two or three kids maybe you know one is in child care maybe work in two jobs lost one of those jobs can't pay utilities and so now is living in a home you know stable but without utilities and then winter comes around and the fact that they're without utilities is no longer an option for mom and her three kids and so she calls the shelter and says you know what i really can't live here without utilities i have one job but i really can't work two jobs i don't have child care this is the best i can do and instead of saying, okay, we'll come into our shelter with your three children, we say, come on down and let us help you improve your financial management. Let us work with you to get your utilities turned back on. Let us provide early learning programming for your youngest child. Let's get those older kids into an after-school program so you don't have to come home from work at 2.30 to pick up your seven-year-old. We really work with all of the elements of that family situation so that they become stable, their utilities are turned back on, they don't lose their home, they don't get evicted, they never become homeless. That is five critical things that a single mother has to deal with. Leaving work to pick up their children. Right. And there goes your, your income. Uh, what was the other one? You said financial. Financial management. That's a big one. I just don't even know why we don't teach that in school. Right. I don't know why we right. don't teach financial management and paying your taxes. And, mm-hmm. Because a lot of young people get in trouble with taxes and then are burdened with back taxes and with penal- compounded penalties and interest. Right. And they're in trouble. Absolutely. In their uh, mid-20s. Mm-hmm. And then what was the other one? Uh, oh, your utilities are turned off. Utilities. So you can't take showers. Right. And you don't look presentable. Right. There's no heat. Your kids are not safe in the evening because you're lighting candles to try to, you know, have light. 
I mean, there are all kinds of dangers that come from the experience of poverty. So if somebody's in trouble and living on the edge and is just about to fall off of the edge, how do they even know to find you? They they call us. They say word to, of mouth. They they say to their friend, and and I was talking to a woman literally this morning who said I recommended our house to so many of my friends and she's never lived there she's never been homeless this is a mother with two children a two-year-old and a seven-year-old the person who told her about our house was her colleague at work and she was struggling she had two jobs her sister passed away she that was a support to her she was really struggling she had to quit one of those jobs and that was it just quitting that one job being down to one job rather than two Put her on the brink of homelessness, but her colleague at work said, "Why don't you call our house?" And she got hooked up with with our case management, with our homeless prevention program. And so you have case managers that are assigned to them, right? And that's how you qualify whether they're trying to take advantage of the system or whether they're really in need. You know what? No one shows up at the doorsteps of a shelter and says, "Help me!" If they're trying to take advantage of the system, isn't that interesting? That's just true. Though. You know what? That's true. I cannot think of a single person who showed up trying to take advantage. And, and maybe part of that is because of the approach of our house. We are all about working hard and, and working your way out of this situation. So there's no handouts. Uh, we, we, you know, people don't, we don't pay people's rent. When we say come and we will help stabilize you, there's no part where we say, and here's a check for your rent and utilities. That was what I was going to ask you. Did you write her a check for no, those utilities? No, that's not what we do. No, what we do is we say, let's work with you because you are empowered with a little bit of support to solve this problem on your own. And we have these amazing, incredibly bright, incredibly hardworking people who come to us every single day, 500 people a day who you lift themselves. You have 500 people that work for our house? Who come to our house. Oh, yeah. come to We have our about house. 80 people on our team, believe it or not. It's, wow. a, it's a big organization these days. It really is. Yeah. Well, your mission statement is our house empowers homeless and near homeless families and individuals to succeed in the workforce in school and in life through hard work wise decision making and active participation in the community i think wise decision making sometimes is not taught from generation to generation right right and you know one thing that we always talk about a team as a team is that <laughs> this is not our mission statement just as it applies to our adult clients we think about this with every one of our clients. We take what we call the two-generation approach, which means that when we think about how do we empower people to make wise decisions, we are having those conversations in our four-year-old pre-K classroom. How do we get four-year-olds to make wise decisions? And how do we get 14-year-olds over next door in our after-school program to make wise decisions? And how do we get their 40-year-old parents to make wise decisions, right? <laughs> how do you do that? Well, you know, so one of the things that we do in our um, early learning center is natural consequences. You know, you... you yeah, <laughs> duh. You know, you, you don't want to eat your lunch and you get mad and you throw it out. Well, now you don't have lunch. You know, I mean, just teaching, okay, make a wise decision. You're four years old. To a 14-year-old, a wise decision is you're going to spend this time on your homework right now. And that's going to allow you to go do the enrichment programming that happens afterwards. And if you, you know. That's parenting. What? That's parenting. That's parenting. But we also do that for our 40-year-olds. Right. Because their parents didn't parent them and say there's consequences. You can't just eat all day long. You have to sure. eat at specific sure. times. Because you have to do homework at specific times. Right. So, you know, in our shelter, there's 68 rules. And here's 68, 68 rules. rules. And here's a natural consequence. You violate a rule. You get written up just like at work. You're told what you did wrong and how to improve it. And you do that four times. And you know what the natural consequences? You don't get to live at our house anymore. 
you're evicted. That bed opens up. You know, we are a shelter. You break the rule four times. Uh, one of You break one of the 68 rules four, four times. Four times. Any of those rules, four times. Four write-ups, you're out. Gosh, four write-ups in a month. Management skills are good. Back with more from our guests, Brian Marsh and Georgia Miarden, after the break. Christmas shopping. At best, it's a chore. And at worst, it's a nightmare. Well, part of the problem may be that you're looking in the same places every year and your idea generator is just stalled. Hey, try flagandbanner.com. A huge assortment of gifts and home decor for the holidays. You've probably never even seen or thought about some of the items you'll see at flagandbanner.com. They're terrific. And right now there's a 30% discount available during our By Golly Be Jolly Christmas sale. Shop online now at flagandbanner.com. Or come on downtown and visit the showroom. Get inspired. Arkansas Flag and Banner, 800 West 9th Street in Little Rock, and online at flagandbanner.com. Merry Christmas. Georgia recognized that song on the first few beats. She went, I know that song. I bet you play that at, at your parties. We like that a little bit around our house. I love that. So tell me what our house looked like when you took it over. I read a little bit about all this online. Well, I want to say, so I get get credit for our house, and people say, wow, you founded a great organization. Our house has has been around for 29 years, and the person who founded it, the first executive director, obviously a board, a lot of folks were involved, but there was this amazing man named Joe Flaherty who is – still around yeah um who had retired he was a master sergeant in the air force and then he was an executive director in his retirement and then another executive director founding our house when he was twice retired so just this amazing person who when i look at those 68 rules joe's name is written all over them i mean you know i was 25 when i started and was not always as tough as i am today but I stand on the shoulders of someone who knew that discipline is really what was going to get people ahead. And so, you know, I think that that was the, the base that I found our house in. Now, financially, we were not in good shape. Um, you know, we were at a point where, well, I'll tell you a story. Oh, good. Um, I went to my dentist. I'd been at our house for a few weeks and, um, you know, I was going to have a procedure done and she put me on gas. And usually you laugh, I guess, when you're on gas. But I, I guess I started crying and she said, what's wrong, honey? She'd been my dentist <laughs> since I was like seven. And I said, well, we don't have any money for toilet paper. There's no toilet paper in the shelter. And then because I guess I, I'm just a born fundraiser, I said, would you can could you give us some of your toilet paper? It would really be great if you would give us some of your toilet paper. And she said, "Honey, I'll give you fifty dollars. You can go buy some toilet paper." Like in my mind, I was really thinking I would take some toilet paper from my dental clinic back to the shelter. I mean, that's really the financial shape we were in. So um, we had sold a property on Main Street, and we're supposed to be out. It was our old shelter. It was forty beds. And we're consolidating at our location on Roosevelt Road, 302 East Roosevelt Road. Um, we're building a building. Um, had a great board who'd led a capital campaign, but it had just kind of, we'd kind of run out of money. And so there we were with folks on Main Street with a building 90% of the way done, but not enough money to actually finish it. And Christmas was a coming, and 
I started in September and my goal was to get the folks into the new shelter by Christmas time. There were 80 beds in the new shelter, 40 in the old shelter. We needed the extra space. And um, let's see, September, October, November, December, you had four months. By the grace of God, we did it. How much money did you raise? We did it. So here was the, here was the miracle. And I always call this our Christmas miracle. Okay. I said we had about 10% left to do. So we raised some money um, to get us there, but do you know how much it costs to equip a commercial kitchen? A no, lot of about a hundred, no about idea. eighty, eighty to a hundred thousand dollars. It costs a lot of money to equip a full commercial licensed kitchen, and that's what we were doing. And this um, amazing man walked in. He was doing the kitchen, um, the kitchen work for the Capitol Hotel, and the Capitol Hotel donated their entire kitchen to us. Their old kitchen. Their old kitchen. You and got the we old Capitol Hotel we got kitchen. The, so the old Capitol Hotel kitchen is the shelter kitchen. We've replaced it. That was 10 years ago. So we've replaced a few things since then. But I bet that was still a pretty nice kitchen. It was amazing. Most, And you went from 40 beds to 80 beds. How many beds do you have today? About 120. And not still not enough. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It's, it is true that we turn away about 200 people a month. And that's, that's terrible. But it has also been the impetus for us to start our homeless prevention programs. So some of those folks who are calling, um, if we had a bed, we might put them in a bed. But instead we say, hey, don't come in and grab a homeless bed. Come in today and meet with a case manager and get on our homeless prevention program. And through that, we're able to help prevent them from becoming homeless. Um, We are able to refer folks to other shelters. And we just have expanded in our services Knowing that while we could continue to build shelter beds, that's not a real solution long term. I think that's changed from the last time I went and did a tour at our house. Yeah. yeah I think you were trying to get more beds. I think you've moved more towards the near homeless, sounds like. We have. That seems smarter, too. We have. And, and a lot of it is just the realization that nobody wants to be in a shelter. Because you have, what percentage men do you think? Yeah, more so, women in it. Yeah, so in our housing, in our shelter, we have 40 beds for men and 40 beds for women and children. Oh. And then we also have 13 units of family housing. And that's mostly mothers and their kids, although we do have some married couples and some single fathers with their children. Um, but in, our, in the remainder of our programs, it's pretty balanced. I mean, our career center is men and women. It's also single people. I think a lot of times people think that we're just about families. So we serve single people. We have a re-entry program for people who What's are that mean? re-entering society from former incarceration. But you, oh, that's Yeah, nice. so that's kind of new within the last couple of years. And so needed. Absolutely. Because a lot of times, I don't know if this is true, but I see on TV that they just kind of set them on the side of the street and go, here's the money you had in your pocket. Hope you have some family. What good. do those people do? Right. I mean, the experience can oftentimes be good luck. You've served your time, but now you're going to serve it again because no one will hire you and no one will rent to you. So good luck and good luck. And you wonder why our recidivism rates are what they are. And so we want to be part of that solution as well. And again, this all stems from the heart of our house being about homeless people. What we realized was what happens to those folks who can't get jobs, who can't get into housing? Will they come into the shelter system? So now we say, hey, we want to grab you before you come into the shelter system. I love it. You're able to stay with your aunt for six months during that time. Let us help you find a felon-friendly job. You know, it's very similar to what I do at Arkansas Flag and Banner to young people. A lot of people come to me young to come to work, and right. they don't know they don't know 
to wear clean clothes to work. Right, right. They don't know to cover your food before you put it in the microwave. They don't know to go pay their t- traffic tickets so they don't end up in jail. Be proactive about a few financial and life skills, right. and it'll just smooth things out for you. That's right. That's right. It's all about coaching people toward the success that they want for themselves and their kids. I love this. I just, I just, I just love it. And you keep the families together. Isn't that unusual? It is. Um, you know, I think everyone wants to keep families together, but we have a unique housing program in that we're able to provide for families no matter what that family looks like. And I should say, Carrie, we're a long-term program. Folks can live at our house for up to two years. And so for that mother and father who comes to us with um, four children, it's going to take them a while to get out of that situation of homelessness. Four children is a big expense. But you have a rule, don't you, that you don't have a job within a certain amount of time. You can't stay there. You can't just come and lay around at our house. That's right. People have to have full-time employment within two weeks of living at our house. When people tell me they cannot find a job, I say that's BS. There's always a job. may not be the job you want, which selling flags was not the job I wanted when I became a flag lady salesman in Dallas, Texas. I did not want to sell flags for a living. But you never know where it's going to lead. So your theory is within 10 days you have a job, any job, you don't know where it's going to lead. Right. Within two weeks, you need to have a job, any job. It needs to be 32 hours a week or more. And, you know, we track all of these expectations in the form of outcomes. 72% of our adults find and maintain full-time jobs. 72%. And these are people who have you know, all kinds of issues that have caused them to be homeless, whose address is a homeless shelter, and yet 72% of them are finding full-time jobs. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, Carrie, I will say credit to employers like you who give people a chance, no matter what their address, no matter what they look like, no matter what their background, thank you, because it's because of the 250 employers in central Arkansas like you that our clients are able to work their way out of homelessness. Finding answers, helping people. That's what our show today is all about, focusing on Georgia Miarton from Our House and our other guest on the program, Goodwill Industries, Brian Marsh. You have decided that this point in time in your life, it's about paying it forward. I totally get it. I totally get it. It's not your 30s when you're raising a family. No. But it's later. So we've talked about what's the first thing you do when someone comes to you and at Goodwill and you said you meet them where they are. We meet them where they are. We, we try and determine what is their current state, both physical, financial, emotional. What are they really looking for? And then we work to help them achieve. How do people get in touch with Goodwill if they need help? Most of the time it's through friends. Because nobody knows what Goodwill does. So it's someone who has, has had the opportunity of having the conversations as, that we have um, in the past, but also have, have been through a program or have been touched by Goodwill. So if you, if you go to Goodwill, if you mm-hmm. call Goodwill, um, if you go to our website, you have the opportunity to make that connection and then So you reach can out. go to your website? Yes, ma'am. So they can go to your website? Peruse the website. Yes. See if there's anything they want. Because you took, you have programs for getting your high school education. You have programs for uh, people that want to 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 get back into society after being 
a veteran, a veteran for veterans for, for reintegration. So how do you work with those people? It, it, it depends right now. We're working with a group that is working to build a veterans village in um, the Pine Bluff area. And in that we're working to provide those same sort of programs that we provide in the TEO program with, with soft skills. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, the mental health aspects and, yeah. and to help to engage. So what we try and do is, is remove the barriers. But in order to remove the barriers, we really have to build a relationship mm-hmm. because you have to know. You have to communicate. So it's building that communication so that what, allows what us to you, move forward. You, what do you do every day? How many hours do you work a week? Um, we just had this conversation, and I, I'm going to hold that close to the, the vest in case my wife is listening. But no, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's more than 40 yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a full, it's a full It's probably 24 seven. It probably never really leaves you. It's, it's, it's a lot, but we have great people. And so what does your day look like? You get to work. Cause I, I know you're not teaching them. You're not teaching no. the classes, your management, you're managing it. You're, you're making it lean. What was the word you used? Lean Kaizen. Sigma. And Kaizen, Kaizen. Yes. Uh, so what do you do when you get to work every day? Um, I, I start my day by trying to one, ensure that my my list is there. So I try and build a list of what I had either either from the day before, the things I didn't accomplish, um, the things that had come in on email. Um, I try to clear up my email um, queue so that it is as minimal as possible because I know I'll be getting a number of emails during the day. I sit down and, and usually spend some time with the other executive staff. Our CFO is in there early also, and so she and I get a little bit of time before the majority of the people come in to talk about how our day is going, how the business is running. Um, and then it is, um, it is spent engaging with, engaging with both public-private uh, partners um, in trying to determine what is needed, its opportunities. We have over 300,000 Arkansans over the age of 25 without a high school diploma. In the state of Arkansas, over 300,000 adults without a high school diploma. Wow. We can't, we can't help that many individuals without having more schools. So it is how do we expand? Right now we have a school for 125 students. Um, we would like to see f- five schools for 350 students spread across the state in the next nine years. Those people become, the 6,000 people that you placed in employment last year, over 6,000, yes. they become taxpayers. Yes. And one of the girls that I watched a video of, said that goodwill gave her confidence she had no confidence it's amazing in the lives we touch and and it it happens daily the miracles the 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 life-changing experiences happening on a daily basis and most of the and and most of your money i believe 90 percent of it comes from your thrift shops your resale shops yes and it's something like 90 percent. but there are 96 percent 96 percent and as we were we were discussing before we do everything we can to squeeze everything we can out of that all the money we can oh yeah we never did finish that what do you do how do you squeeze the money i remember kind of hearing you talk about this you take stuff apart and sell parts yes if if things don't sell in the store so in our our 30 plus stores across the state then we take them to our our two outlet centers and we try and sell it by the pound so then if it doesn't sell by the pound then we break it down into components. And that may be um, shoes, paired in single shoes. And yes, we have a vendor for single shoes. 
Um, they what? buy they buy the a a Gaylord, which is a four by four by four box. They'll buy those full of single shoes. They're shipped to third world countries, and people sort them to try and match up shoes that are similar, because someone would rather have two shoes that are kind of alike than no shoes. Oh. So so we we squeeze everything we can. We cut the cords off of electrical equipment, and we have a vendor that buys the cords. Strips it out for copper, I guess. Yes, and we we take apart computer systems and 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 components with that. So we do everything we can to try and minimize our waste stream. So what goes to the landfill, so that we can maximize our opportunity and and be good shepherds of the donations. Brian. Can I just tell your wife that I love you? No, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you for having me. I I'm, greatly I appreciate it. I hope everybody can hear you. I have a gift for you. It is a desk that I couldn't figure out. It's a U.S. flag and an Arkansas flag Excellent. for your desk. Thank I you. read about you, and I thought, well, do I give him one from Colorado? Do I give him one from Carolina? Do I give him one from Texas? So you're just getting Arkansas. I'm an Arkansan. You really are. Yes. You love it here? Yes, I do. We left Colorado, and when we left Colorado, we told people we were coming to Arkansas, and they said, you're going to leave this? Yeah. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And so my question was, have you ever been to Arkansas? And most of them, no, I haven't. And, and, it's, it, and I said, and if you go, you'll know why Arkansas is the natural state. That's Brian Marsh from Goodwill Industries. One more word of inspiration from Georgia Miarton of our house. We are grown people with the equipment and skills to deal with difficulty. And so if we as adults say it's too hard, it's too difficult, the system's broken, therefore I'm checking out, that is wrong and unfair. So if they want to contact, they want to go to your website, what's your website again? Ourhouseshelter.org. Carrie, thank you. You're so welcome. I love you. I love you. And you skewered me, put me on the spot. I'm now going to be a volunteer at our house. Love it. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, contact me, Gray, that's G-R-A-Y, at flagandbanner.com. 